Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You listen to KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM, the Ask Brian Radio Show, every Thursday, 1 to 2 p.m. Woo! Wow. So each week, each week, we've been doing this now, I think my first show, my pilot, was in December of 2016, and my show actually started in first week of January 2017, so we're approaching six-year anniversary. Wow. Very nice. Where's your clap? But I don't have. No, one you, you gotta have one of those. On, you know, he's an engineer. He should have these claps. I don't know what's going on. All right. So each week we have a show, and we try to help business owners learn something about business. Sometimes we'll have a a startup company CEO. Sometimes we'll have just a person that just teaches business classes. Today's uh, class, I should say, I call it a class. You're gonna learn all about videography and videos. Some things even the guest doesn't know, but we'll try to hammer them down. But everybody wants to know why the show is Ask Brian, since my name is Peter, and why do you spell Brian with an E? So we have our engineer, Mr. Matt. Where's the clap for that? There you go. All right. I'll do my own little clap (laughs) because you don't have your clapper. Well done. And it's not like, you know, clap on, clap off with the lights. There you go. I know. (laughs) We need to keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So, well, I'll just tell people we call the show Brian as opposed to Peter because – you can't get the domain name, Peter. But all right, that's the real reason. Now, let's explain to people why Brian is spelled with an E. Matt, give us some reasons why. Well, I always like to start with my favorite, which is E is for education because we try to educate our listeners each week about business. Well, we try to educate them about business, but we have different methods of educating them, right? So what are some of the methods? I'm quizzing him, and he doesn't know the answer. So this is the kind of part I like. So go ahead. Different methods of teaching? Well, audio, podcasting. Well, no, we use different people. We'll have a CEO of a company who started something from scratch, got something big. Right. One of our founders of Oatly Milk was on our show one time. Also, we had the founder and creator of The Learning Addict. So we've had some quite phenomenal guests. And, of course, we have a phenomenal guest today, but we'll get that to that later. Now, the other thing is sometimes we should have people that they don't even have a company. They may be an advertising executive or something, but they just know something about business. They may know Facebook. They may know uh, website design. They may know videography. They may know some specific category or section so they can help us out. Right, and these people are another E, which is experts because our guests are experts in their field. Now, every week somebody says to me, okay, Expert, you know, what does that mean? So, what are the qualifications to become an expert? <laughs> no, I'm glad you asked. I am glad you asked, Peter. I am a expert in pain as a Mets and Jets fan, as we've discussed here, and our guest here as well as a Jets fan. So, we all know about that. I think the pain for the Mets is kind of going away with the trillion dollars that they're spending That's on, true. Uh, on players. That's true, but it, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in your field. So if you break it down over 50 weeks in a year, we're going to give you two to go to Hawaii and sip martinis and relax on the beach. 40 hours per week times 50 weeks is 2,000. So therefore about five years. But like we always say, no entrepreneur is only working 40 hours a week. Oh, on a part-time job, on a side hustle, maybe. But nobody really is doing that. That is, that is correct. Yeah. 
it takes a lot of hours to build something, but when you build it, it's yours, and you feel a lot. You feel empowered, right? If you build it, they will. Why don't we use E for empowerment? E for empowerment. How about another E? E is for experience because experience counts. Well, of course it counts. When you say experience, isn't that the same thing as an expert? Yes. I mean, kind of in a way, but the biggest reason we also call these people experts is because they have that experience of doing it. I use the example of me being here on the board. I wouldn't know how to do this just by watching for 10,000 hours. I have to have the experience of actually pressing all the buttons and getting all the things programmed and set up. So they kind of go hand in hand in a way. Peter, how about this one for your ease for empathy? Because being empathetic, putting yourself in someone else's shoes to understand your audience, customers, product services. Well, that's actually very easy for me. You know why? Why is that? Because I'm only wearing a size nine. Most people have a 10, 11, 12. So it's easy for me to put my feet in their shoes, right? Oh, very nice. You're like a chameleon. You can just kind of <laughs> mix and match into different shoe sizes. Exactly, very nice. Exactly. Very nice. Peter, how about ease for entrepreneur? Because most of our listeners are business owners. Well, that's obviously correct. But, you know, there's like three big ones. We're waiting for our co-host to get one of them. Right. Uh, how about ease for enthusiasm? Because being enthusiastic leads to ex- excitement. excitement! Woo-hoo! Yes, that right there. And I'm, I'm this going, oh, my God, you should have warned me. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, we're going to get Tracy in here in a minute. I know she her. says she can't get through. We're going to try to I get think her. You're in. blocking her out. Here's what we're going to do. Are you blocking her? Absolutely not. I, maybe a little because I'd like to do the E for it. What else does E stand for? Well, we're going to wait till she comes on because we want to know that one. Okay. Gotcha. Is she there? Tracy. No. There we go. All right, Tracy. So we've gone through all the E's and we had one left. And I said, Matt, you can't do it until we get this person on because she knows all <laughs> about grease lightning. So what about grease lightning? Okay, so. Yes, that's electrifying, but the E that I was going to add in was excluded because I couldn't get in. And I thought you were excluding me. Never. Not (laughs) you, Tracy. I'm going to have to buy a a violin now. Anyway. (laughs) A little teeny, teeny, teeny tiny violin. (laughs) Well, Tracy. That would be be extraordinary. (laughs) I'm glad to have you on. So we're going to get to our guest because our guest is going. What did I sign up for? What am I doing? And, you know, I know Peter for a while, but I had no idea about this. So, Jeff, are you there? I am. All right. And you're still around. Okay. So we didn't kick you out. All right. You didn't leave. All right. So we've got a couple of questions for you. First of all, I want to go a little bit about your background. People don't know who you are. Now, I know we know you're in the videography business or dealing with videos. How long have you been working in your industry? Sure. So I've been doing this. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate it, and uh, I thought Ask Brian was about former Jets kicker Doug Brian. Uh, <laughs> apparently, it is not, but I think he spells it the same way. So does uh, the uh, quarterback. So, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Who lives in Manhattan Beach, where I live? So yeah, my background is you know, not unlike a lot of people that are refugees from the world of advertising. I did that for about twenty-five years. That is a almost thirty years, actually. Unfortunately, it's a young person's game. And after, you know, like I said, about 30 years of, you know, getting fired every couple of years, I decided that maybe it was time to get out of the industry. And I found a niche of companies needing content, particularly case studies and trade show videos and the like. And so I've been doing that full time for about 10 years. Wow, 10 years. And that's your own business or are you working for someone? It is Industrious Films. In LLC, which you know you and I can discuss. Yeah, I need to figure out how to a, form one of those. 
<laughs> it's a turnkey provider of video content, so we pretty much do the whole thing. We don't really deal with agencies all that much anymore. Occasionally, we, we get a job from an agency, but most of the time, we deal directly with marketing departments of uh, large companies, and you know we can do everything from you know script writing to casting to location scouting to shooting to you know all the post production. So, you know, when I say turnkey, I, I mean turnkey. We, we do it all. So would you actually write the script if somebody wanted one, or would you send them somewhere else? No. Uh, so my background, I was a award-winning copywriter and creative director at pretty well-known agencies like um, TBWA, Shia Day, Sachi and Sachi, Campbell Ewald. So, you know, I worked on ABC, TV, Toyota, Chevy, Verizon, Disney, you know, the biggies and selling everything from cars to, you know, cartoons. And so, yeah, I, I'm a copywriter by trade. It depends on the project. Sometimes we write scripts, but I find that the most authentic scripts are the scripts that we write by using somebody's interviews. And we can, we can get into that uh, in a little bit. That's very interesting. Those companies you mentioned, are, for anyone that is not unaware, I mean, like Sachi Sachi, these are huge, huge, probably top 10 or largest in the world. So that, that's quite the background. And obviously, they don't hire anyone. They only hire people with expertise and experience. And that's what Jeff has. So a couple of things. Now, what is the major difference between working at a big agency like one of those and having your own business? Because a lot of our people that are listening to the show, they have their own business. So I just think they would like to get a little glimpse of that. Sure, sure. Well, so the whole advertising agency model has changed so drastically and seems to evolve just daily. You know, when I was in the advertising business, it was the traditional, you know, madmen structure, you know, where you sat in a room with your partner. I was a copywriter. I'd sit with my art director and we'd come up with concepts and, you know, we'd write television commercials and radio commercials and print and billboards and all that kind of thing. And it was kind of great because you didn't have to worry about anything but just coming up with an idea. And then as the world has changed, we've become much more visual. People aren't spending the way they spend on television. The marketing budgets are so fragmented. It became like one copywriter to like five art directors. So it was just like, give me some words, make me you know, let it look pretty. So it's just the whole business sort of has evolved. You know, I can't speak to owning an ad agency. I can only speak to owning a production company. You own your own business. And um, so I'm sure you can speak to it. I mean, you know, it's everything from, you know, now you have to hire, now you have to find health insurance. Now you have to, you know, do everything. And for me, I think the biggest change is really a simple thing, which is when you take days off, or when you go on vacation with your family and you're sitting on the beach, you can't really relax because you're like, I'm not getting paid today. I'm spending money, but no money is coming in because I work for myself. I think that's been the biggest change for me over the last 10 years is it's just knowing that I've always got to worry about feeding that funnel. But I think one of the advantages as a small business owner is the freedom, right? You can go to Hawaii, you may not have the money, but you can go whatever week you choose, right? You can schedule things and do things on your own. If you need to take two hours off to take your kid to a baseball game or something, you have that flexibility. It doesn't mean that you're financially might not be a hit, but on an independence level, I've always found that being a small business owner gives you more opportunities to make your own schedule. You know, I agree with that to a point, but 
COVID changed everything, right? I think people now have so much more flexibility because so many more are working from home. And, you know, companies are like, hey, if you get the work done, I don't care if you are sitting at your desk for eight hours or three hours as long as the work gets done. So I think that's changed a little bit. I do know that about five years ago, I very much felt that like, ha ha, look, I have this flexibility that if I want to go for a walk on the beach in the middle of the day, I can do that. But now pretty much everybody can. So, you know, I, I tell people a lot of times when, when people say, oh, isn't it great working for yourself? You don't have to answer to everybody. We all have to answer to somebody, right? When I worked on a job with you, you were a client. I had to answer to you, right? It's just a different person you're answering to. The person who signs the check is the person you answer to. Unless we all win lotto and, and get to sit on the beach, we're all working for somebody. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to be doom and gloom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Now, so you do the whole thing A to Z. Now, do you handle all functions of the project or do you have other people that work with you? Great question, Peter. So I am not a cameraman. Occasionally, I will pick up the second camera as, as an assistant if we don't have a second cameraman. But no, I hire a crew. I most of the time outsource my editing. If it's a small job and the budget is you know, not big enough that I can hire an editor, then I'll do the editing myself. But in general, most of my productions are fairly small. So I have a camera person, often a second camera person, a PA, a sound person, and then I have an editor and a graphics guy. So usually it's a team of about five, six, depending on the project. But, you know, as budgets have shrunk, the crews get smaller. You know, I, I, last year I had a crew of 32. I did a big project with Venus Williams. That same year I, you know, shot, you know, with a crew of two. So it just depends on the budget and depends on, on the needs of the client. I don't want to spend too much time, but, I, you know, you did bring up COVID, so I did want to bring that up. You know, with videography, how was that affected? Because many, many people not only were working remotely, but weren't actually going out to see people. So were you doing that? over the computer or how were you doing your videography during that time period? Very interesting. And again, I, I think 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people are going to look back at this time, this, the era of COVID has just drastically changed so many businesses besides remote working, the way people film, the way people do things. So what really happened during COVID is it became acceptable to see a video where the person was shot, you know, over Zoom or Google Meet or, you know, any of the other various, you know, video meeting apps, which is fine, except it kind of doesn't look great and the quality isn't there, but there was that immediacy. So we were doing things both ways. In some situations, we were shooting on set and had to, you know, we're a non-union shop, but for example, when I did the large Venus Williams project, I had to pay for a covid supervisor on set at about $2,000 a day to make sure everybody was had their COVID cards, their immunizations. They had to be wearing masks. People had to have space, eating. We had to spread everybody out, things like that. I also had to hire a nurse to administer COVID tests day of, both days. So, I mean, the COVID budget alone, and this is, again, a very small project, but the COVID budget alone was about $8,000. And, and again, this is a small, this is a small part. I mean, it was, you know, probably almost 8% of the budget was COVID protocols. So it, it was, it was significant, but I think like everything else, right? Clever people figure things out. I, I heard of a company that created these remote cameras that would show up 
to like a star's home and it was like a briefcase and they'd open it up and the camera was attached to a, a built-in tripod and they would, you know, basically direct. Um, I've had a, a couple of situations where I directed interviews. Somebody had me up on Zoom while I had a camera person in their house. So it just depends on, you know, the situation. But yeah, COVID was, it was interesting to say the least. So what is the most important thing you've learned in business? I can't curse, right? (laughs) (laughs) Not unless you want to be fined and pay $25,000 a pop. (laughs) I would say just, I was going to say don't be a, but uh, I won't use that word. I would say just try to be nice to people. You know, if you're rude to somebody, it will come back somehow, some way. I just, you know, try to be nice to people, try to be honest. I'm honest to a fault. And, you know, I think it's the golden rule, right? Treat others the way you would want to be treated. That's, to me, the most important rule. That's very good. My rule is, not a rule, but my thought pattern is you only have one reputation. Make sure it's as good as possible because everybody's looking at that reputation and you can't change it. I mean, once you start going down a path, you're kind of locked in and you want to have good reviews and a good reputation and then people come to you. For sure. I had a creative director years ago that said, in a pinch, the truth works. And I have been telling my two sons that for years and years. When you get in a bind, in a pinch, the truth works. Just tell the truth, right? Because if you make up a lie, you might forget it. But <laughs> the truth never changes. The truth shall set you free. All right, we have our co-host Tracy. Tracy loves the word pivot. So she's going to pivot and try to go in different areas than I was going in. So go ahead, Trace. So my pivot's going to start with a continuation of a conversation that you guys began earlier in the show, which was around, I love what you were saying around some of the best scripts are actually written from people's true voices. And being someone who produces podcasts for a living, I'm a big fan of the interview and getting people's voices out there. So I am curious if you could expound on exactly what you meant by that, because you're an award-winning copywriter. Typically, I would think you would be rooting for the opposite side of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. It's a, it's a good one. You know, it's a big part of, of the pitch that, that my company, Industrious Films, does. When I talk to clients, I always say, look, I was an award-winning copywriter. Nothing I write will ever be as powerful as somebody saying, I bought this product, it saved my butt, or I bought this product, and I can't live without it. Where we work, uh, we live in the tech space. Most of the work that I do is in tech space. And so we're often talking about hardware installations in the millions of dollars. And so there's some guy or girl who has to go to their boss or their boss's boss and say, I believe in this product and I know that our company will be able to work better if we spend this money. And then it's got to work. And so when that person, when you can get that person to go on camera and say, I am so-and-so from this real company, and I purchased this product, and I think it's fantastic, it's just got so much more weight, right, than some sort of fake person that, that you're writing a script. I don't care how good your script is. It'll never be as good as this real organic person saying this product is awesome and I can't live without it. So that's what I kind of mean by that. When we do our interviews, we're trying to elicit, you know, hot buttons. We're trying to elicit 
you know, we, we ask them things like, well, if you had a colleague, if you, somebody else in the business who is considering this product, what would you say to them? You know, why did you use this product? Why did you consider this product? Things like that. And then you're able to cut together a story that rings true. From a marketing strategy perspective, is that fall under the category of testimonials in, re- in regard to how you're positioning the voice of the customer of your client, for example, right? So if I own the company, you're filming my customers talking about my product. Is that, in essence, considered like a testimonial type video? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, testimonials, some people call them case studies. Um, or use studies, but yes, testimonials is the bulk of our business. I just think the way the world is changing right now, there's really two types of advertising to me that work the best. There's UGC, user-generated content, which you go for tonnage, right? You go for, you know, $500 videos and and a lot of them, or you go for high-quality testimonials slash case studies. You might not get as much, but they ring very true. That to me, those are the most effective marketing options. I love that. And so when you're talking about either of those options, what are some of the tips that business owners can do and how, how to leverage video, I think, is the question that I'm really trying to get to, is that you know we're hearing so much about video is everything. TikTok blew up this year, especially this year, and reels on and stories and all of the kind of short film shorts on YouTube. So video has just been a bit of all the rage this year and doesn't look like it's slowing down for 2023. What are some of the tips that you could provide a business owner who may just be stepping into a video marketing strategy outside of the testimonial piece of it? Sure. There's two schools of thought. If I was a new business owner, uh, you know, here I am, I'm going to, I'm going to give advice that, that, you know, hurts my business, but if you don't have the money and you don't have the clients yet, hire a kid. Hire a kid. There are so many young, talented kids who have forgotten more about social media than you and I will ever know. It's just in their DNA. They've been living it since, since day one. Now, of course, you have to keep an eye on them because, as we've seen, some very, very large companies have had some very, very embarrassing things happen to them on social media because they put their billion-dollar Heinz account in the hands of a 22-year-old college graduate who forgets that they're not talking to their friends. So <laughs> I, 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 think that's, I think that's one thing to do is there's just a lot of great kids out there. The other thing is video is everything. Video is everywhere. So if you spend the time to have a sales meeting and you don't have videography there, you're missing an opportunity. If you don't have somebody shooting behind the scenes, if you don't have somebody shooting interviews because you've got all your salespeople there there, and you've got an opportunity to ask them questions, it's a missed opportunity. Behind the scenes, presentations, corporate events, any of that kind of stuff, you should be shooting it. You should get as much of it as you can. You can always, you know, you don't have to use all of it. But if you're not capturing it, you never have that opportunity. The other thing is think about the way you can use video, right? So you may have, let's just talk about an event, for example. Let's just say that a company is having a, a client dinner, right? And so they're bringing in some speakers and I don't know, let's just say it's a, a $20,000 event. Well, bringing in a video crew, like that can cost money. And you're saying, well, you know, I don't want to waste that money. We're already spending money. 
But after the event is over, the event is over. But if you've filmed it and you have the opportunity to do some interviews and you have some opportunities to do some pitches and you have some opportunities to shoot panels, now all of a sudden you've got all this content and you can cut it up and you can use it in social media. You can use it in emails. You can use it on your website. You can use it on YouTube. So you've got all this ability to get, you know, to monetize that event versus just that goodwill that you had at the event, right? Oh, absolutely. Great point. So I want to circle back to something that you were talking about when I was asking you about efficiency around marketing and you mentioned, you know, if, if budget is, can be a constraint then to hire a kid and then you were talking about how some of the bigger companies, you know, be careful because you got to make sure that your messaging is right. So what that caused me to think about is there's a lot of chatter in the industry right now around brand safety. And I know that that is a really hot topic, especially for people who are creating branded content and actually having ads inserted into content. And brand safety is just getting more and more of a critical component of consideration. Are there any tips that you can provide or any insights that you have on preserving brand safety in a video marketing strategy? Well, it's an interesting question. It's not something that comes up all that much in my world. You know, we deal with some pretty corporate clients. So, you know, oftentimes they have, you know, a brand book or brand assets that we can look at and see, okay, this is their look. This is their feel. These are the things they say. These are the things they don't say. Honestly, you know, unless you're sort of like a fashion brand or an entertainment brand, it's really kind of simple. Be approved. If, you know, it's like if it seems a, a little salacious, you probably don't want to do it. It's really that simple. Again, my, you know, our space is, is mostly corporate and tech, so this doesn't really come up so much. But I do re- remember that in my advertising days when we were doing much more edgy stuff, you kind of had to think like, okay, would my mom be okay with this ad? And my mom's pretty edgy for 80. So, but in general, I think it's just common sense, really. Don't just sort of, you know, throw caution to the wind. You know, the, the, the old saying, you know, uh, say what you want, but spell my name right, doesn't really work with a brand. Right. And I, I love you have an article on LinkedIn that, are you still going to love me when I'm 54? <laughs> I think some of that feels like common sense to us, but because the generation below us grew up with a kind of a TMI mentality, Sometimes what's salacious to us may not be salacious to generation that is younger than ours. So that is, I think, probably one of the reasons why it's become such a hot topic. But I love what your point is, is it's basically like be a prig because if you fault on the conservative side, you're never going to be a victim of the cancel culture, I suppose, right? Absolutely. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that article because when you talked about pivoting for the listeners that don't know me, I had posted something on LinkedIn this week because I have two sons who are, you know, one's uh, a junior in college, one is done with college and, you know, they're looking for work. And while I was going through my LinkedIn connections, I started noticing that all the people that I knew from advertising who were copywriters and who were producers and and writers, I mean, and uh, art directors, like 90% are out of the business. And it just, it kind of shocked me, but I realized that that particular business sort of, you know, it eats its old people. It's a young person's business. And so it was interesting to me to see all the pivots that people have made. And they're not, like my pivot going from 
you know, creative director at an ad agency to a creative director of a production company isn't that drastic. But I mean, I know people who are yoga instructors. One guy owns a, a hamburger stand, real estate, just doing all sorts of, of different things because, you know, that business just is not for old people. And by old people, I mean 50. Right. Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, like, I try not to use the word old in relation to 54 because that is my age as well. So. well I, I'm, I'm actually 56, so it's even worse. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, one of the things that I was curious about in terms of running your business, so w- let's talk a little bit about the operations side of what you're doing. It seems like you, uh, from your website and the amount of remote teams that you have throughout the different cities throughout the U.S. for your on-site filming work. Do you have any expertise that you would like to share on managing teams remotely or working in this virtual world? I know we talked a lot about how the pandemic has changed a lot of, of terms of the, you know, lowering the bar in production quality in some cases, which I think is unfortunate but true. I remember actually, not on this question, but I remember actually when they very first, during the pandemic, moved to putting the late-night shows in the morning television shows and filming them from their houses, I was like, oh, no, there goes the bar on high-quality production because once they bring in Zoom on the major networks, then everyone's going to think that's an okay thing to do. <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I mean, I'm still fighting with, with clients about that. I, I just had a bid where a client said, okay, well, can you shoot, you know, in, in these three locations or maybe we'll just do it remote. And I'm like, you're a high quality company. You, I think you want to shoot on video, but you know, they, they believe that they're saving, you know, so much money in, in travel and, and whatnot. So, so to answer your question about dealing with remote teams, it goes back to something I said earlier, which is in a pinch, the truth works. Like I just, I tell my people like, here's the budget. Here's what I have for you. Can you do it? I don't mess around. I don't, I don't be like, Oh, what's your bid? Like, here's what I have, you know, for a cameraman. Here's what I have for a sound person. Can you make that work? And I try to be good to my people so that when, you know, I don't have, you know, for example, a cameraman, maybe I only have $500 for one shoot. Well, maybe the next one I have 1200. Now I could easily get him to work for 750, but I'm going to pay him 1200. I'm going to pay him 1500 so that, he knows I take care of him and I'm not going to put that money in my pocket. So it's, it's a two way street, but I think honesty, just treating your people as well as you can works really well. The other thing is I don't take anybody's word for anything. Meaning that if somebody says, Oh, I can shoot this and I have, you know, you know, I have a lot of experience. I do two things. One is I look at their reel. And second, I have a conversation with them generally, you know, online face to face where I can see them. And I, we talk about the work. And I've been very, very lucky. I've hired a crew from, you know, London and Asia. Um, we did something in Sweden, you know, all over the U.S. And I, I've actually, I've had one situation where a person wasn't quite what they said, but 99.9%, I've had really, really good experiences. So I've been very, very lucky that way. Tracy, you had a couple questions. Well, actually, the main question that I have is about how to continue this conversation with our guests because you've been so fabulous, Deb. And if someone wanted to reach out to you to activate a video strategy, to learn more about your company and what it is that you do so well, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Sure. Thank you, Tracy. 
Yeah, our website is industriousllc.com, I-N-D-U-S-T-R-I-O-U-S-L-L-C.com, Industrious Films. They can also email me, jeff at industriousllc.com. I'm sure you can find me on LinkedIn, Jeff Nicosia, N-I-C-O-S-I-A. But uh, the website's usually the best way to do it. There's contact forms there. I know, and it was also very clever. I'm sure being the copywriter, you wrote it that says we're almost always online, but we get back to you really quickly because that's kind of our thing. <laughs> so I love that. I'm a big believer in returning every email, most every phone call. Again, it goes back to what we said earlier. You want to treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah, and then that's such a good tip for people because you're even if you own your own business, you're still in charge of business development and sales, and it's very important to show up, follow up, and follow through. And speaking of showing up, we want you to show up and listen to the Ask Brian podcast. There's been so many great nuggets of wisdom and really good marketing strategy points talked about in today's episode. But if you haven't been able to listen all the way through or you haven't, or you want to go back and reference some of the things that we talked about or remember how to get in touch with Jeff, be sure to download and listen to the Ask Brian podcast wherever you find your favorite podcast or watch your favorite podcast, listen or watch, and we really appreciate you. And if you appreciate us, then please head on over and leave us one of those fabulous five-star reviews because we really appreciate it. And to quote our incredible guest, testimonials really make a difference. Testimonials matter, and we consider those five-star reviews really great testimonials. So I'm going to flip it to you, Peter, to wrap us up. and. Thank you, Jeff, for a great episode. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. So, Jeff, before we took a break, we were talking about that you have to go out and find people sometimes. And so I think that's a really, really big category, especially with remote. Give us some tidbits on how to locate the best person, you know, if you want to have a hire somebody to a camera person that's remote or something like that. What are you looking for? How do you know they're the really the real deal? Well, in the minute and a half that we have left, I will tell you that the reality is there's so many talented people out there. And finding people that have talent, that's easy. It's finding people that have a work ethic, finding people that are honest, finding people that that will show up when they say they'll show up. To me, that's the biggest challenge. People can be flaky. And so sometimes I make it a little bit harder than it needs to be in terms of like, I want to have a phone call immediately, or I want to talk to them twice. Make it a little bit harder so that, you know, you know that they're going to go that extra step once you hire them. That's a great point. What do you think is the best approach for videos? Do you think putting them on social media, putting them on a website? You have about 10 seconds, so. Well, it's an easy answer. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, over and out, KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM, the S. Radio Show. Till next week. Woohoo! Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.